0: Hello everybody, it's me Erica
1: and Rachel
0: and you are listening to Storycrime Podcast. Woo! Welcome back everyone. Um I know we promised a bonus episode last week and it's coming. We just had some technical difficulties, but it's coming. So, <laughs> um if you want to get ahead of yourselves and check it out right now, you can do that at Coffee and Crime podcast and our friend Lisa Marie has already posted her end of things cuz we co-hosted the episode with her and it's a great episode. So, however you want to listen to it.
1: Yes, and please go, go follow her podcast because she is so much fun. I loved meeting her. It was really cool.
0: It was really awesome. We love you, Lisa Marie, over at Coffee and Crime. I hope we can do it again and this time without the technical difficulties. Damn technical
1: difficulties. Always getting us, Erica.
0: I know. But we're hoping to get through this one difficulty-free. Cross your fingers. Fingers are crossed. So how was your was your weekend, Rachel? oh jinx jinx um my weekend was you know like pretty boring i yeah. spent all day yesterday writing this very episode um yeah and then well, i watched a documentary about that plane that went missing in malaysia like the malaysian mh370 yeah yeah and did they ever figure out where it went it, i have more questions than answers oh, i'll just say man. that i i don't I mean, I fell asleep right before the end of the third episode, so, and it's only three parts, so I'm not 100% sure if they found it, but, I mean, I don't think they have based on just general knowledge of that case, so. Damn. Yeah. Uh, But there was a lot going on in the documentary, and uh, it was pretty good, you know, for entertainment's sake, so. But other than that, today I went to go visit my mom and dad with my, with Rob, We had like a late family day, early Easter dinner.
1: Interesting.
0: (laughs) Because nobody could get together on family day and my parents are going to the Dominican over Easter.
1: When is Easter this year?
0: April the 9th.
1: Okay, good. Last year was on my birthday and that just ruined everything.
0: Just fucked everything up. Mm -hmm. God damn it. Um, But yeah, so that's all I did. What'd you do?
1: Um, I was just out here saving lives. Um, I donated blood yesterday. Me and the girls got together. My 12th donation. So that's wow. like, what, 90 lives saved or something? Like I'm just your everyday modern hero. No big deal. I have
0: no idea how many lives that is. I can't give blood because my iron is always too low. Oh, hard.
1: bummer. Yeah, mm. I'm, uh, I'm getting really good at it. So that's it was, yeah, it wasn't bad. And, nice. you know, today been feeling pretty good tomorrow is spring nothing wrong with that when waiting all winter for it shaved my winter legs we're ready to go feeling good
0: i'm not shaving my winter legs until all the ice is off the parking lot and yeah. i know possibly i could wear shorts yeah until um then. absolutely not
1: it is quite vigorating though to chop down those trees that was winter <laughs> legs <laughs>
0: yep you gotta go through like three razors because they just keep getting (laughs) clogged up yeah
1: ladies i know you know what we're talking about
0: yeah absolutely um yeah so i have to go back to work tomorrow sadness although like i always say i always miss the babies i work with but it's always nice to sleep until 10 o'clock it
1: it sure is yeah i was gonna say (laughs) you were sleeping until um eleven thirty here but that was the time change day so that yeah made sense that checked out
0: yeah um so yeah that's what's happening tomorrow uh-uh.
1: Anyway, happy monday
0: <laughs> happy but just monday. think it's spring it officially oh, yeah. doesn't suck i know and there's so many activities that you can do with kindergarten a kindergarten class in the spring so i'm just like i think there's full uh pages like full, like categories of things on Teachers Pay Teachers that are just spring related.
1: Perfect. It's like now they Mother do Nature, work for me. Yeah, Mother Nature just needs to get her shit together, and we're ready to rock.
0: Exactly. All right. Love well, it. With that being said, I think we should jump into this episode. All uh, right. So last week we left off talking about the murder of Lonnie Bond. His girlfriend Brenda O'Connor, and their the disappearance of their sixteen month old baby named Lonnie Bond Junior. Mm-hmm. And we kind of left it by saying that these two dumbasses, Charles Yang and Leonard Lake, their dumbassery was about to catch up with them because Charlie Yang was about to shoplift from a lumber store and throw their entire operation into whack
1: (laughs) thank goodness he's such a dumbass
0: so that was that happened on june 2nd 1985 if you remember they were at the south city lumber store and Mm -hmm. charlie had tried to steal a table vise and a off-duty officer had spotted him they chased him out of the store he ran away got the fuck out of dodge but leonard lake was still in the store and came out and tried to smooth things over Didn't work for the cops because they knew his car was stolen, he had illegal weapons in his truck, and he was using a fake name. So they brought him to the station, he popped a cyanide chill, chill, a cyanide (laughs) pill and took the more eternal route out of trouble. Sure. Uh, it and was
1: quite chill. <laughs> it
0: was quite chill. So while Leonard was actually in the hospital, essentially waiting to die, police were getting started on what they knew was going to be a very lengthy investigation into what exactly they were dealing with here. Inspector Tom Eisenman was the first detective assigned to the case, and he was going to be working with Irene Brune, who was the same detective that actually investigated the Dubs family disappearance. If you remember that from last week, they were a family with the, yeah, another family with a baby that had gone missing. Yeah. Uh, now Brennan Iserman, they would meet up at an impound lot where the car Leonard had been driving was being held, which we know was stolen. The two started doing a more thorough search of the Honda, which they now knew belonged to a man named Paul Cosner, who had been missing for several months, I think nine months. And They had found several items in the car, but one of the first things that really stuck out to Irene Brunn was that there was a green fisherman style, I guess, hat that was in the back seat. And when she was investigating the Dubs disappearance, she remembered seeing a man wearing a hat basically identical to this one Mm -hmm. on security footage from an ATM machine trying to use Harvey Dubs debit card. So suspicious. Also, yeah, also in the car, they found pictures of Leonard Lake with like bare chested or naked women. There was a travel agency receipt made out to Charles Gunner.
1: Mm -mm. Uh, They found
0: Randy Jacobson's bank card. So Randy Jacobson was one of the men that had gone missing from the Pink Palace. Right. And they found several other ID cards for Robin Scott Stapley in the car. So Robin Scott Stapley, if you remember, was a friend of Lonnie Bond. Okay. Oh, right. He was also the, at the house. Yes. Yes. Now, under one of the seats, they found a gas bill, and that was in the name of Carolyn Cricket Bellaz with a PO box address in Wilseyville. The bill showed a meter reading indicating that someone was indeed living at the Wilseyville cabin that Cricket's family owned. Good. Later, they used luminol to detect any traces of blood that might be in the car, and they found blood stains everywhere but strangely there was no blood like around the passenger seat and on the visor area in front of the passenger seat if that was the only
1: place that didn't have blood in the entire car
0: yes now irene brun would eventually get in contact with cricket by phone she learned that cricket had been married to leonard but the two were now divorced now We know that even though they were divorced, because remember Leonard was on the run, he he was a fugitive, essentially, we did learn that Cricket and Leonard would still get together for booty calls when the time was right. So they were divorced, but they were still definitely in contact. Okay. Cricket let Irene know that her family owned the property in Wilsyville, but she told her that no one had been living there. Nobody at all. Bron asked if she and her partner could meet with Cricket and see the cabin. Cricket said, yeah, I can do that, but I can't do it today, but I will meet you there in the morning. Bron and Eiserman at this point told Cricket that, sure, we'll meet you in the morning, but also told her not to go to the property and definitely don't take anything out of the cabin. Okay. So the next morning the officers traveled to Wilseyville to meet Cricket and to their surprise she brought along Leonard's mother and he had recently kind of like patched things up with his mom after like years of of not. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand why his mother whose name is Gloria never questioned where his brother went. Right. Was, oh yeah. She was perfectly fine having a relationship with Leonard but was just like at peace with the fact that he went missing when he was with his brother like it doesn't make sense. So Yeah, by the
1: way, have you seen your brother? Like that's yeah. weird, yeah.
0: After some idle chit-chat, Kirkut broke the news to the officers that she had ignored their orders from the night before. Hmm. She was just like, "You know, I actually did go to the cabin and I just took a few personal things that I, you know, might be embarrassing if you found them, like some videos and stuff."
1: I didn't want you to say my dildo. No big yeah. deal. Yeah.
0: You don't need that. Red fucking flag. And the, the de- detectives felt that as well, especially once they got to the cabin. Spoiler alert. Uh-oh. Now, the detectives were pissed, but being that Cricket was going to let them search the cabin without a warrant, they did decide not to press this issue with her, just kept their cool and acted like it was yeah. no big deal. Fair. When they all finally arrived at the cabin, the first thing that caught the detective's eyes was the large, recently constructed... Concrete building that looked like a World War II bunker. Oh, so yikes. they also saw a gray pickup truck with the license plates "Ahoy, matey" on them. Now, I forgot to say this in the last episode, but this was Scott Stapley's truck, and he oh. had that license plate made. There Which was is also- pretty,
1: like you know, noticeable. Who
0: yes, the, right, the distinct
1: license plate.
0: Absolutely. There was also a Bloom Plymouth that was parked nearby, and I believe that that car belonged to Lonnie Bond. This was okay. the car that they had gifted to Leonard and Charlie. Right.
1: <laughs> yes. Because that happens daily, all the time. People just gift cars to strangers. Those
0: assholes. Like, they're just so dumb. I, yeah. I hate them. When they entered the cabin, Detective Eisenman ran his hand across the top of the door frame, which he said this was a force of habit when he would go in and investigate crime scenes. He would often do this just to check for any evidence hiding. And, you know, to his surprise, cyanide capsules, well, two mm-hmm. capsules. They didn't know it was cyanide at this point, but two capsules fell into his hands. Again, this is likely the cyanide that Leonard had talked about hiding everywhere. And just in case he needed to dip out. I guess Mm. so as the investigators made their way through the house they noticed that in the master bedroom there was a double bed in there that had large holes drilled into each post and when they searched the like the bedside table drawers they found bolts that fit perfectly into these holes from what they knew about different things just from their career the detectives figured these were likely used to tie people to a bed in sort of a bondage situation yeah they would also find lingerie and an old guitar case with stickers on it. Oh. Now, we've never spoken about either one of these idiots playing guitar, so I wonder where that could be from. Mm-hmm. The living room was decorated with a large mural on one wall depicting an autumn forest scene. So it was like floor to ceiling. It's like trees, like you're walking through the woods in the fall. How it's
1: beautiful.
0: very, very 70s, 80s of them. <laughs> There was also a brown recliner that sat close to the wall. A bookcase in the li- living room contained a Sony video camera and a video duplicator called a hybrid eight generator, something that apparently wasn't very cheap back then, according to I what bet. I could see. I don't think
1: I don't think gen- generators are cheap even now.
0: Yeah. So Irene Brun re- instantly recognized all of this recording e- equipment from one of her past investigations oh. and audibly said, oh shit in front of everyone in the room including cricket she realized that this was the stuff that was stolen from harvey D- harvey Dubb's apartment and Yikes. at the same moment as irene's revelation about this recording equipment cricket had decided that the police had been there long enough like she had extended this kindness to them now it was time for them to get out mm. so Eisman was able to convince Cricket to let them stay a little bit longer, thankfully, but also decided it was a good time to get the DA involved so that they could get a warrant. Irene Brun started to covertly record the serial numbers from the recording devices, and she stepped out to call the San Francisco Police Department and asked her partner from the Dubs investigation to compare the numbers for her. It's probably no surprise to anyone right now that those numbers were a match for the equipment in the, that was stolen.
1: I love this police work that these women are doing like top notch.
0: Yeah. So she quietly let her partner know what she had learned and he told her to keep everything quiet, not let on that they knew anything and they didn't want to spook cricket and lose access to the cabin at this point. Right. They, Mm -hmm. they wanted to be able to search more. He knew that the serial number numbers were now enough to get a warrant that would allow them to access the entire cabin and hopefully the rest of the property.
1: Wow. That bunker. Yeah.
0: So when they finally had the warrant in their hands, the investigation started to kick into high gear. Eisenman would chat with Cricket throughout the search, trying to get information about that bunker in the backyard. (laughs) So the warrant that they had obtained at this point did not extend to that bunker and Cricket would not budge on letting them go in she told them that it belonged to Leonard, somebody that had lived at the cabin, and that she didn't have a key, nor would she give them permission to enter it by any means. Wow. He also asked her some questions about Charlie Ng, and she said that Charlie was a friend of Leonard's who had lived with them for a while at a hotel in Philo before he was arrested and sent to prison. They asked her if she had had uh, recently seen Charlie, and she pointed or she point blank told them that she had. She just was very bluntly, yes. I have definitely seen him. She said that she had given him a ride to his apartment the previous day and told the police that he may have been on his way to Chicago. Mm. So not good. Eisenman said that Cricket really seemed to like, like seemed like she was the type of person who thrived on the fact that she had information, but that mm-hmm. she was holding just a little bit back to keep them on their toes. You know what sure. I mean? So yeah. they could tell that she knew more than what she was saying. Cause They What they were thinking was, she knows exactly where he's heading. Yeah. And it's not just Chicago. Like, this guy's trying to flee. Yeah. So finally, a warrant was granted to search the bunker. When detectives stepped inside, they saw what you'd expect in a backyard shed. Tools, lawn care equipment, old lawn chairs, and and that kind of shit. However, on one wall, they noticed an array of barely clothed women ranging in age. Hmm. Some of them were clearly young teenagers.
1: Now I don't like that at all.
0: And I didn't like that either. So I'm going to get the elephant out of the room like right now. Um, None of the women in these photos were murdered. By the end of the investigation, all 21 of these photos were identified and all these women were safely located. Oh, good. they, They did give statements about their experiences with Leonard and most of the time they were like not bad it's like not they they shared that the experiment that the uh experiences were you know like they were weird but okay like he wasn't harmful or scary
1: or anything yeah, like that, that. Is so not what i was expecting you to say
0: yeah i know so a little weird but they poked around a little bit more and one of the investigators noted that the outside of the bunker like it just looked like it was much larger than what they were seeing inside like there had to be more that they weren't noticing so as they took a closer look around, they noticed hinges on a plywood wall indicating that there was probably a room behind it or something behind it anyways. Eisenman noticed that the hinges appeared to be bent as though something or someone had tried to push the door open from the other side and break their way out. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, when they got into the when they got behind the plywood, There was a narrow passageway that led to a small chamber. This room appeared to be a sort of living area, as they described it. They saw a bed, a table, a lamp, a desk, a drawer with shelves. There was also clothing and, of course, a copy of The Collector by John Fowles. And Mm. at the end of the living area, there was yet another piece of plywood, which kind of created a wall that made a third room. Now, when I say this room is tiny, it's smaller than a jail cell. Like, it's tiny. Measuring just three and a half feet wide and six and a half feet long. So, basically just big enough to sleep in.
1: Yeah, just to lie down.
0: Behind that, there was a small platform with a piece of foam rubber on top and a chemical toilet and a roll of toilet paper. So, we've talked about a chemical toilet before. In this case, it's literally just a bucket.
1: Oh, and nothing great. else.
0: Yeah, there was also a one-way mirror on the one plywood wall, allowing someone to watch what was happening on the other side, but the person on the other side couldn't see out. So, yeah. Now, what really put chills down the investigator's spine spines was when they found a typed sheet of paper on the wall labeled "Rules."
1: Oh no! Oh, God no.
0: On it, it read one. Must always be ready to service my master. I must be clean, brushed, and made up and, my, and made up with my cell neat. Two, I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look my master in the eye, but must keep my eyes downcast. Three, I must never show my disrespect, either verbally or silent. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists. And unless eating, must always keep my lips parted four parted. always keep her lips parted like her mouth has to be slightly open all the time
1: yeah that's like the weirdest rule ever
0: yes four i must be obedient completely and in all things i must obey immediately and without question or comment and five i must sorry five i must always be quiet when locked in my cell. and six i must remember and obey any additional rules told to me I must understand that any disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused, to me, caused by me to my master will be grounds for punishment.
1: Jeez. Mm,
0: so if it wasn't clear what this concrete structure was for before this, before they failed <laughs> those rules, the police were sure they knew it now. This wasn't your run-of-the-mill garden shed or even an apocalypse relief bunker. It
1: yeah. was a prison. It was was the torture chamber. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And when they found Leonard's videotapes, things came into even clearer focus. This was a prison, but not just your ordinary prison. It was a prison for women that Leonard and Charlie used as personal sex slaves.
1: Fuckers. Like, I just want to kick their ass. Yeah.
0: Outside the bunker, Detective Eisenman noticed some soft dirt near the driveway and asked some officers to start digging. They ended up unearthing a five-gallon paint drum that contained several photos of half-naked and fully naked women. They found Leonard's journal and some VHS tapes. The tapes were labeled only with the letter M. They contained the footage of Kathleen Allen being raped, tortured, and mentally abused. Mm. The second tape was of Brenda O'Connor. Charlie Ng and Leonard Lake can both be seen in the video assaulting Brenda in various ways. At one point, Leonard gropes a passed out Brenda's breast and says, Now tell me, isn't she a little better than Kathy? Referring to Kathleen Allen. Yeah. At this point, Brenda, who had passed out, stirs from her sleep and tells the men that she feels dizzy and nauseous. Stating that she thinks she's pregnant.
1: Oh, wow. Plot twist.
0: Yeah. Ng is heard in the video saying... Not the right time for that kind of shit. Like, no, you know what? It's not the right time for Charlie. This kind of shit.
1: Yeah, maybe some like, capture, rape, and torture. Like, get fucked all the way out here.
0: Yeah. Ing then gets up and grabs a stun gun. Now, if you remember all the way back to episode one, uh, which some of you might not, but they actually found this stun gun in the back of Paul Car's- Cosner's car that the men had stolen. Mm. So the men are seen directing Brenda to a... To strip naked, and Angus heard telling her, both of us are going to make sure you're clean before we fuck you. It's in the <gasps> house rules. So disgusting. Oh, I don't... Okay, These, As far as I know, that part of the video is not... You can't see any of that stuff online. There are a lot of um, the video of Brenda O'Connor out there that is still equally heartbreaking, but I don't think that that part is on there from what I've seen unless it's out somewhere... That I don't go to on the internet. Yeah,
1: we're not right? going to venture down that highway. No.
0: So the next day, investigators turned their attention to the large trench outside the bunker. And on first look, it appeared to be filled with household garbage. But upon further inspection, they could see that it was being used to dispose of much more nefarious items than lawn chairs and old magazines, which is what they were initially finding. Right. Right. They brought in sniffer dogs to help with their search, and while they were taking a lunch break, one of the dogs brought back what appeared to be a bone. The Mm. bone had what looked like fragments of flesh on it and was later determined to be human.
1: Oh, fuck.
0: As their search continued, they noticed that um, the property actually had many areas around it that showed signs of disturbed earth, as well as areas that appeared to be burned. They also noticed a large piece of plywood that showed signs of maggots coming from underneath it, which we uh, all know that's a bad sign. Yeah. When they removed the plywood and started sifting through the dirt underneath, they found even more human remains, including an entire human spine and teeth and other bone fragments.
1: Uh,
0: the medical examiner would state that there were hundreds of bone fragments found around the property and that the remains had been subjected to cremation.
1: Wow. And does Cricket know that her property is being used as a, a cemetery? She
0: says not. She says not. Jeez. We'll get to Cricket. We'll get to yeah. Cricket. Throughout the course of the investigation, thousands more bone fragments would be found scattered around the property. Thousands? Thousands of Holy. fragments. Yeah. So these bodies were destroyed beyond recognition, a lot of them. <sighs> They were also able to find remains of what they believed to be an Af- African American man who had been on the property for quite some time. Due to the level of DECOP and the fact that their remains had been disturbed by local wildlife, the body couldn't be identified right away. Mm-hmm. But they did go on to say that this was more than likely the body of one of the Pink Palace victims, Maurice Rock. Okay. And I, yeah, yeah. Now, eventually they would find the bodies of. Randy Jacobson, the other Pink Palace victim, mm-hmm. and two bones that were later proven by DNA testing to belong to Cheryl Okoro, who was friends with Maurice Rock and they had all disappeared. They were Operation Pink Palace 1, 2, and 3, essentially. Yeah. yeah. It was determined later that Randy Jacobson's body had been totally submerged in Lyme and that <sighs> he had ingested cyanide, likely causing his death.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is why they were able to identify so the fact that he was in Lyme, I think that probably preserved at least the body somewhat at least made it not stink i'm sure because i think that's what you use lime for i think so if you're a murderer especially if you're a murderer yes
1: especially.
0: Uh, (laughs) teeth fan at the scene would later be proven to have belonged to kathleen allen and brenda o'connor but i believe they never found any more of their remains just teeth
1: oh my god
0: Now, bones were the only thing that they found on the property, though. As Mm -mm. they continued digging, they would find even more sealed containers containing packages filled with hundreds of dollars worth of old coins, silver dollars, pieces of gold. They found another tub that contained Lake's journal that he kept between 1983 and 1984. There were other tubs on the property that contained ID cards, debit cards, checkbooks, all belonging to Kathleen Allen, Mike Carroll, Mm -hmm. Randy Jacobson, Paul Cosner, Jeffrey Gerald, they also found Paul Cosner's glasses and a sun visor and license plates from his Honda. Wow. Now, the guitar case that they found, I don't think I put this in my notes, so I'm going to say it right now. That guitar case that they found inside the bedroom actually belonged to Jeffrey Gerald. And I just feel like you've kidnapped him, you've stolen his car, probably. And now you got to steal his one prized possession, his 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 guitar. Like I just
1: have you no soul.
0: Yeah, I hate them. I just don't understand. Now, three days into the investigation, investigators received news from the hospital that Leonard Lake had officially died, which is actually sad for this investigation because Mm -hmm. he was the only person who could answer the many questions that they had. And those, he had taken those answers to his grave. Now, yeah. yes, they still had Charlie Ng, but they had no idea where he was or if they were going to find him. Because one thing that they were afraid of was that they knew he had family in San Francisco and in another, I think, in another state. Plus, he had military friends all over the place. Oh, Plus, yeah. his sister lived in Canada. Plus, he had family in Hong Kong, Still, his parents and everybody are still there. He could be
1: anywhere. He
0: could have been anywhere, and they were actually really worried that he was going to flee to Hong Kong. And then there was no chance of getting him back at that point. Now, on July 8th, six days after the investigation began, there was an officer who was on patrol just a mile away from the Wilseyville cabin, and he noticed what appeared to be disturbed dirt along the side of the road, and he just happened to catch this as he was on patrol. So he and his partner, um, they went to closer inspect the dirt and when they did, it revealed hundreds of bone fragments that have been oh. dug up by animals. So definitely something was under that dirt. Wow. After carefully digging at the site, so they called for backup and they had people come and after carefully digging at the site, they unearthed two bodies that have been encased in sleeping bags. Mm -mm. these would end up being the bodies of Lonnie Bond and Scott Stapley both men had been shot in the head before their bodies had been concealed in plastic and placed in a sleeping bag then discarded like trash essentially
1: yeah now no sight of that baby no
0: sight of that baby none so um, the other thing too that I'll mention is that on one of the videotapes one of the investigating officers noticed that there was a very quick, like, you had to, like, pause it at just the right time or it would disappear, but footage of Leonard, like, with a wheelba- wheelbarrow <laughs> carrying what looked like items in sleeping bags.
1: Oh. They believe
0: that this was a clip of him wheeling the bodies to where they eventually buried them on the side of the road.
1: Wow. Wow. What a break in the case. Like, imagine they just had that literally, like, speeding bullet. What is it called? Smoking gun?
0: Yeah, well, wow. I mean, it's as close to a smoking gun as they would probably get in this case because even though all the videos, and we'll get to this later, even though all the videos showed assaults and the fact that they had kidnapped these people and were holding them captive, none of the videos showed any murder, which
1: Mm -hmm. would make this
0: case very difficult moving forward. Mm -hmm. Now, due to the fact that Leonard Lake was now dead, investigators started to turn their attention to finding Charlie Ng and Cricket Balazs. Cricket was brought in for questioning again, and a search warrant was executed on her home. At her home, they found a heart locket that they knew belonged to Kathleen Allen. Uh Uh-oh. Along with other pieces of jewelry as well. I bet, yeah. During questioning, Cricket admitted to knowing about the bunker and what Leonard was using it for, so she knew. No. Cricket was ordered to return any items that she removed from the cabin, whether they belonged to her or not. They needed them back, and if she cooperated fully... She would be granted immunity. <gasps> immunity. This is, this is BS. She told police she knew about the abduction of both Cheryl O'Coro and the Dubs family. She said that Leonard told her that he had been hired by someone to kidnap them and deliver them to someone else. Which I, sure. Why? An unassuming family. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah. But Whatever. It was revealed later that Cricket had actually used Harvey Dubb's debit cards to purchase clothing, jewelry, and to eat at restaurants. No. I fucking hate her. Cricket would return some of the tapes she removed from the cabin that she was featured in. In one of the tapes, she's seen openly discussing Operation Miranda with Leonard. And <gasps> this is a very short clip, but I am going to play it for you. It's like so short that you, it's barely nothing, but it's enough to make you say, Cricket laws, you bitch. Performers, and uh, but I've seen some awfully cute-looking little fourteen, sixteen-year-old that yes, I envy, and so I wouldn't like, mind watching them do something interesting. So I know that's not much, but basically, what she's saying in there is that she's, you know, because she worked as a teacher's aide, right? Yeah. So, and she had worked in like some. um like juvenile detention centers and different like counseling programs with youth so she's actually referring to these kids that she's worked with i think and she's saying i've seen some cute 14 15 16 year old girls who i'd like to you know watch them get down or whatever she said
1: that's i hate her
0: i the fact that they gave her immunity i hate that they do this it's so similar to carla homoka i know i don't think cricket was quite as involved as carlo homoka was in those crimes but it's so similar to them just like we we need this evidence and we need it now so we're going to give this person immunity or and we're so going to we make them a- care
1: what's on the evidence like yeah she can be saying and- she's a downright murderer and it's like oh sorry
0: which is what happened with Carla Mocha. Okay. I know she didn't get immunity, but they she got the deal of a lifetime. My god. I would say there's like
1: a loophole where you can take back immunity. Like you have immunity unless you're a cold-blooded killer.
0: Well, it would have to be like something like you have immunity unless it's like they would have to make the deal like unless what we see on the tapes indicates that you've murdered somewhere right
1: but then she's not going to give over she's the case and she's going to be like okay well then no deal
0: yeah so I guess I'm not getting immunity and you're going to have to figure it out on your own which is what would have yeah. happened with Carla Hamoka, I think yeah if if they said you don't get this deal right yeah. then she would have been like well then you don't get those tapes Ugh. you don't don't pay the toll you don't get no roll <laughs> okay that's from men, Robin Hood men in tights <laughs> you don't pay the toll, then you don't get no Uh Charlie had fled and would send investigators on a chase across the border to Canada. According to Ng, he borrowed $400 from his aunt, the one that he had lived with early, early on in this. And he ended up taking a flight to Chicago. He would stay at a hotel for four days before a friend gave him a ride to Detroit. From there, he crossed the border into Windsor and police police were able to track him to Chatham, Ontario for one day he stayed there, where they believed he took a bus to Toronto. So he actually was in Chatham and when he was there, I think he slept at the bus station, which would have been right across from the mall.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about this. Kent Hotel? Yes.
0: (laughs) I was thinking this today. I said and i said this to rob i was like it's so weird that i was like i've walked the same streets as charles Ng. it makes me shudder yeah. but i, I mean, imagine
1: we were walking like down the street we were at the mall as he was sleeping in the bus station next door
0: well i mean oh, we you wouldn't have been born yet i No, i know been. but like imagine we were though yeah it's and so, so was, close to comfort i was one month old <laughs> not even (laughs) um but yeah no i I just feel like we've walked the same streets but rob made a good point he's like you are probably oh, there goes a murderer probably just drove right by us right so i guess oh my god i hope not he's like every time we go to a nerd store there's probably at least one guy in there that's doing something gross oh my god not in the store but privately so (gasps) yeah that oh oh. (laughs) what a gross fucked up
1: thought Especially, yeah. like, when you live in, like, in our buildings, there could be, like, lots of gross, unsightly things happening right now. Oh, my God. I need to go patrol. Yeah. Yeah. Knock on everyone's door. Are you doing any
0: illegal things other in here? Yeah. Other Are than you? drugs? That,
1: yeah. that is obvious and I don't care, but.
0: <laughs> you doing anything that harms children, animals, or, you know, Other people? people?
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm no, going to need you gross. to stop.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm on patrol. I'm Rachel. I
1: am here now.
0: (laughs) I am Rachel. You must listen.
1: And I will take control from here on out. I don't know what I'll do.
0: (laughs) I'll run. Yeah. So after he took a bus to Toronto, he went from there to Alberta where he had family in Calgary. His sister Alice actually lived there. And with the help of the RCMP, photos of Charlie were actually circulated around because they thought he might go there. And this was just to inform people to keep an eye out for this fugitive that they were looking for. Charlie would spend just over a month on the run. Early on, he would ask his sister for money and a place to stay, but she adamantly refused this and urged him to just turn himself in. And eventually, like, she just detaches from the whole thing. She's just like, I I don't want to lose my job. I hate him. I don't even want anyone to know he's my brother. I have a and life, and he's not part of it. So, do you think she asked? Like, what is it you're
1: on the run for? Oh, she
0: knew <laughs> because there was the wanted posters up. She knew exactly oh. what he was on the run for. So that's oh why. She, Imagine yeah. walking down the street and you see
1: a wand poster on a, and it's a your light brother. post, and you're like, "Um, that's oddly
0: familiar. Yeah. Unsettling, unsettlingly familiar. Yeah." No, she was not having any of it. She, like, was just like, I hate him. I want nothing to do with him. Please don't associate my name with him. she didn't
1: turn him in, though.
0: Right. Because he's still family at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, if my brother or sister murdered anyone, and she's listening, <laughs> I will turn you in.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Sames. Sames. <laughs> uh, the only person I wouldn't turn you in turn in is you and Rob. And possibly Aww. my mom. And maybe I will.
1: It would take a really hard moral compass to
0: not turn you in, but I might. But then who else is going to do the podcast with me? Right. (laughs) And then you'd have a firsthand account of an unsolved crime.
1: Ooh, I would be interviewing you.
0: I'd be giving you details, and you have no idea how I know them. (gasps) But I do. Like like a source. got
1: the deets,
0: but how? But how? And I can just be like, sources close to this case told me those (gasps) sources, my brain. Are you?
1: Oh, when I was doing my research, I found this. No, bitch, that was you
0: doing it. (laughs) And then if I ever get caught, I'll claim a fight club situation. It was Patricia the whole time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Guys, I would never commit a crime. If you ever got to know me, you would know that I am so scared of committing crime. At one time, my friend took their parents' car without permission, and I cried the entire time we were in the car. And, like, um, she had a learner's that permit. That wasn't me, was it? No, this was <laughs> – I was in uh, visiting friends up near Belleville, and she took a fr- her oh. parents' car without permission. She did have a learner's permit, but she didn't know how to drive stick, and so the car kept stalling. I was oh, like, we're all yeah. going to jail. And I cried <laughs> all – the whole time. I think we were in the car for, like, three hours, like, cruising around the county and uh, I cried the entire time. And I'm still that person. If somebody ever tried to make me do something illegal, I would cry the entire time until they were just like, fuck it, we're just not going to do it. <laughs> so I would never um, be that person. Just so everyone knows. All of that good. was Perfect a joke. disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, where do we leave off? His sister told him to turn himself in. But eventually, he wouldn't have to turn himself in because he would go to a Calgary de- per- department store, which I believe is the Bay but what he was purchasing there, I don't think the bay sells anymore, which is weird. But they claim that this was the bay. He attempted to steal a tin of salmon. Now, oh, if you're yeah, Canadian um, and if you know anything about the bay, it's mostly clothing and like appliances.
1: not at the bay.
0: Yeah. It's more, the bay is more like a Sears, what Sears used to be. It yeah, didn't Which again, if food. you
1: aren't Canadian,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's a department no, store. No, Sears is everywhere. Sears started in the US did it i thought it was a canadian store nope Sears oh. is everywhere well was everywhere blow
1: me down
0: <laughs> right so he attempted to steal a tin of salmon he was spotted by security guards and a fight ensued he was not oh, going down yeah for a can of tuna he actually pulled out a gun and shot at the security guards and for a can one of, and-
1: of salmon
0: for a can of salmon and he actually clipped one of them in the finger and I believe they lost part of that finger afterwards
1: what a However,
0: luckily he was overpowered during the fight and as an extra fuck you he shit his pants during this <laughs> and as an even extra fuck you the security guards and police officers on the scene made him sit in it while they Absolutely. waited in- instructions about what to do I Absolutely, have-
1: you're shitting, sitting in your shit. Exactly. Sam, no- we're
0: gonna even make you
1: run like squirm around in it. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> just wiggle a bit. That's an order.
1: <laughs> and if you don't wiggle on your own, I'll make you wiggle. Yeah.
0: Take his shoulders and just scream. Shake him up. <laughs> now, from the book, No Kill, No Throw, the author writes. That the police officers um, witnessed Charlie kind of saying, maybe Leonard uh, had been right. I should have killed myself. <laughs> Lol. Now
1: he's sitting in shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? They actually, when they went through his bags, they found like a bunch of guns, but they also found cyanide, so he maybe considered it? Like,
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, know. he had guns. He could have shot himself the whole time.
0: Exactly. Whatever. Now, Gosh. while in a holding cell, Charlie actually would strip off all his clothes and attempted to hang himself with them. But thankfully, Ew, the God const- is shitty pants. <laughs> slides right out. Well, the constable on duty was able to intervene before he even had a chance to climb up on the bench and wrap his shorts around his neck. No! <laughs> it's his shitty shorts. That is so gross. Like- <laughs> imagine oh my God. he's like
1: fuck i really should have done this before
0: <laughs> i don't understand He's <laughs> got
1: shit around his neck oh yeah my
0: God. there's <sighs> shit all over your neck charlie. there's shit all <laughs> over the floor there's shit all over the wall <laughs> <laughs> there's shit on the Who ceiling is that from uh dumb and Dumberer. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay. guys i know that suicide is nothing to laugh about we're laughing at charlie Charlie Ng only because
1: he's a murderer and we don't give a fuck.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Now, Charlie would be interviewed by Canadian police to confirm that he was, in fact, Charles Ng and that he was the guy the FBI was looking for. Charlie Mm -hmm. told him that he was from San Francisco and that he knew Leonard Lake. And even with the few initials, initial details that Charlie gave them, the Canadian police were pretty confident they had the right guy. On July 6, 1985, Charlie was moved to the Calgary Remand Center where he awaited questioning by California law enforcement. It was an inspector named Ed Erdelatz and a Calaveras deputy sheriff named Norm Varane that arrived at the Remand Center the very next day to question their suspect. Of course, I, I'm sure you're not surprised, Charlie wasn't eager to say anything to them.
1: <laughs> no surprise <laughs> they, at
0: all. <laughs> no. They would spend the next several several hours just laying out the facts of the case that they had built back in San Francisco, and then once Shirley did start talking, he put all the blame for this on his dead accomplice because of that's, course he can't defend it's himself. Just along for the ride. And guys, get, don't get me wrong; I'm not defending Leonard Lake. I don't think he should take. I. It's not that I don't think he should take any blame. He certainly should, and he is a coward for killing himself. But. Shirley was just as involved in this as leonard lake was and don't let charlie oh. tell you otherwise i
1: was like wait who the, who the fuck is shirley <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, charlie <laughs> charlie <laughs> so because you're like shirley he's in, is involved or whatever <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wait a second fuck? <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> and don't call me shirley <laughs> you remember that movie <laughs> no. uh leslie nielsen and um the one where it's like uh an action flick Oh, uh, Naked um, Gun? Naked Gun, yeah, yeah. Yes. The spoof of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And Don't Call Me Shirley. Naked yes. Gun is
1: widely known in my family. I, I think I even have movie. the box set.
0: That's amazing. So. Now, the more he lied to investigators, the more he tripped over his lies, which was really good for the investigation because they could write down all these contradictions and say, like, poke holes in his story left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. Now, when they asked Charlie about the two babies, he told them that he had told leonard at the time if you want to kill the babies just make sure they don't suffer so again putting the blame on leonard saying i don't know what happened to those uh-huh. babies uh but leonard did it
1: <laughs> and i told him uh-huh.
0: to make sure they don't suffer on the second day of questioning charlie would tell Ertelitz and varane that he was through talking to them he had actually been contacted the previous day by Charles Stewart, who was the head of the Calgary Defense Lawyers Association, and he let Charlie know that under Canadian law, he did not have to talk to police and was entitled to a Canadian lawyer. So through oh. legal aid, Charlie would end up receiving counsel from two defense attorneys named Don McLeod and Brian Devlin.
1: I really hate that Canada was draw- like brought into this. That's... Well, we're just too nice around. Now. At
0: the end of the day, like he gets his ends because there is a Supreme Court judge that is not having, is not picking good. up what Charlie's putting down. So good. And we'll get there in a bit. So both the Calgary and California police were kind of pissed about Charlie obtaining lawyers. They felt as though Charlie's extradition would be expedited and go smooth, smoothly. And the fact that he now had counsel representing him made it very difficult, made everything a lot harder. so the following day Charlie appeared before an Alberta court and was remanded to a psych ward for evaluation despite his suicide attempts in jail he was ultimately deemed fit to stand trial and just to keep in mind he's only standing trial for the shoplifting and assault in Canada he's not standing trial for anything in California just the crimes he committed at the bay in Canada
1: the tuna or the, the salmon. Tuna. Salmon, yeah. Wow.
0: In Canada, he, he was facing a lawyer
1: for a thing of tuna. Jesus well, Christ. He well, he got I lawyer. guess he shot someone. Yes. And but
0: this was all more because they wanted to prepare him to fight his extradition. Mm-hmm. We'll get to all that in a bit. Okay. So in Canada, Charlie was facing charges of attempted murder of the security guard, robbery, mm-hmm. and un- unlawful use of a firearm. Mm-hmm. He would appear before a judge a week after being sent to the psych ward. His lawyers would not fight for bail on these charges for some reason. So he was actually sent to the Calgary Remand Center where he settled into a pretty nice routine. He Ew. was no longer having suicidal ideations. And a prison psychiatrist noted that Charlie actually enjoyed his notoriety as a serial killer at this remand Center. Like from the, the attention he was getting from
1: prison yeah. guards
0: and other inmates, you know. Of course. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. So, back in California, law enforcement was working around the clock to put together the necessary documents to get extra extradited back to the U.S. to face the multiple murder charges against him. But this was not going to be an easy process. Due to a 1976 treaty between the U.S. and Canada, either country had the right to refuse extradition if the death penalty was on the table, which, in Charlie's case, it was.
1: Oh, and Canada's too
0: damn nice.
1: They're like, well, don't
0: worry, Chuck, we won't send you over there. Right. And um, yeah, so because it because the death penalty is illegal in Canada, right? It's outlawed. Yeah. So this is what Ng's law, lawyer. So they would fight on their client's behalf to ensure that if he was returned to the U.S. that he would not be put to death. So they yeah. would extradite him. But the U.S. government had to agree that they were not going to put him to death. Gross. So in November of 1985, Charlie would face trial for the Canadian charges and he would end up being found guilty of just armed robbery and aggravated assault and unlawful use of a firearm. Mm-hmm. The charges of attempted murder of the security guard would be dropped. Why? Um, and they instead charged him with aggravated assault and unlawful use of a firearm.
1: Is not attempted murder a bigger charge than aggravated assault? Yes,
0: but they... have f- didn't think that there was forethought and malice when they shot. Like it, they didn't think he was shooting to kill. They thought he was shooting simply to get away.
1: I murder's murder. I mean, I maybe it's not
0: first degree. I, I'm third playing. Degree, a, but... I'm playing a bit of devil's devil's advocate here. I'm assuming that's what they're thinking. But justice yeah. is never fair
1: on our side, especially. Right? Yeah.
0: So uh, he was sentenced to four and a half years with parole eligibility at 17 months, which meant that. California law enforcement and and the justice system in the U.S. would have to wait at least a year and a half before they could even think about getting their hands on him and bringing him back to the U.S. And even then, they would have to find some way to get the Canadian government on board to send him back and face the death penalty because there was no way they were letting it go. They knew what they were seeking um, capital punishment in this case. Yeah. In the meantime, Charlie was formally charged with nine counts of murder in California. So he still has the charges on him. They just can't do anything about it at this point.
1: At least they have like a year and a half to really get their
0: case as solid as they can. Right. Right. I agree. Charlie ended up serving his sentence in the Edmonton Max Security Prison. Hmm. He started his time in a segregation cell where the only contact he had was with psychologists, lawyers, and prison guards. In the third week of his confinement there... He could hear like the guards bringing another inmate down the hall, and as they did, whoever they were bringing slipped a note under Charlie's door nope. that contained a series of math questions followed by a short note. Got any magazines?
1: <laughs> Want to <Now>, be
0: friends? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this was his neighbor Maurice Leberge. Sorry, in all the documentaries, they call him Maurice Leberg or Leberge.
1: But you know, as a Canadian citizen, that that it, is not correct.
0: It must be leberge. Maybe it I'm must wrong. must be. But it just Foyer, comes out. Foyer,
1: You just know it's French.
0: Yeah. It comes out of my mouth, Leberge. So if that's You're not right, I apologize. It. But I think it sounds exotic. Anyways, the two inmates would correspond by note for the next several following weeks. The two inmates would form kind of a friendship as much as you can when you can't really see each other. And Charlie appeared to trust Maurice, confiding in him and seeking his advice. Mo, mm-hmm. as he was often called, would start saving the notes from Charlie, thinking that if he ever said something incriminating in the notes, they could be his ticket out of this hellhole of a prison. Ooh, Mo is pretty smart, actually. Yeah, he actually is a really smart guy. He's an, not a good human.
1: Obviously, he's in seclusion in prison. Yeah.
0: He's he did some pretty bad shit, but he is smart. And he knew what he was doing. And in fact, he plays a pivotal role in this. So,
1: Oh, I like Mo. I mean, I don't like him for his crimes and why he's in prison, but I like him right now.
0: Yeah. Now, Mo wasn't wrong with thinking that these could be his ticket out of prison. Mm. Uh, He figured if he could get Charlie to confess somehow to his crimes in his own handwriting, then these notes would be as valuable as gold to California law enforcement.
1: Written confession. Yeah. Yeah.
0: After several months, Charlie started to open up to Mo about his crimes in California. He told Mo about how Leonard, like, murdered his brother Donald, as well as the murder of Charles Gunner. He -hmm. told him about his arrest and how he crossed into Canada. He talked about Leonard's arrest and suicide, and lastly, bragged about the brutality of his crimes. (sighs) He wrote in a note about the videos he and Leonard made of their victims, stating, That's it, man, the new wave. Video crime shut Ew. up shut up charles There's, it's my, absolutely not the new wave it is not so moa's charlie what he did to the victims and this is going to get really rough guys i'm not gonna i didn't put everything he said but mm. it is disgusting a lot okay. of the stuff
1: prepared ready. so
0: Mo moa's charlie what he did to the victims and charlie said that he cut off the clitoris of one of the women or clitoris
1: clitoris i I prefer clitoris you do okay (laughs) and i don't know just the way you said it it just sounded right
0: okay (laughs) um and used a chainsaw to cut off the testicles of another victim (gasps) excuse me he described pouring acid into the eyes and genitals of some of the victims and stated the crimes i committed aren't even in the books and they won't Uh, be because the people i killed aren't around to talk about it
1: Um, you just wrote about it, you douchebag. It's going to be in the books now.
0: Yeah. And also, no shit, they're not gonna talk about it because you killed them. Like that's such a confession. Confession. But I mean like what do they call it when it's like you it's a hat on a hat, Charlie. It's a hat on a
1: hat. It's a hat on a hat. Whoever says
0: that? That's a thing. Is it though? A hat. It is. it's a a redundant statement is that what you're saying yes it's redundant they won't be talking those people i killed won't be talking because they're dead yeah because you killed them anyways it's redundant he's an idiot any reason for me to pick on charlie because i hate him yeah He went on to tell Mo how carefully he and Leonard disposed of the bodies. He told them that they had destroyed the evidence so well that no one would ever find these bodies. No one would ever be able to prove that he had raped any of his victims because there would be no semen on on these remains.
1: He's writing this down to Mo. Yeah. Like, just bragging about it?
0: Bragging about it. He was so happy that he did this. I oh okay, hate him. God, he's such an idiot to be putting this all in writing, whether it's true or not or embellished. I mean, Doesn't I matter. like, I like that he's a dumbass, but he's yeah. so dumb, my so God. dumb. And he's trying. Like, what makes him more dumb is that it's like he's writing these notes tomorrow, talking about this, trying to seem like smart and cool because he did all this wild stuff,
1: I'm and they're to never gonna Mo. figure it out.
0: Yeah, but really, he's just dumb. He's just dumb.
1: They're never going to figure it out because I'll never admit to it.
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> well, he didn't know that Mo was saving the letters. He thought Mo was a trusted, like, a criminal like him, right? So.
1: Yeah. Oh, I yeah, think. because a trusted criminal. That's an oxymoron.
0: Right. So Charlie knew it was a bad idea to send these notes to his friend. And he did say in one note, my lawyer says I shouldn't talk to anyone. But I guess I've already jumped in with both feet. I'd say so. He ended up disclosing that he was responsible for 12 murders. Seven of them were men, two were women, two babies, and one S word. Yeah. F-word. Like, the gay.
1: Got yeah. it. Yeah um also at this point is mo like trying to kick his ass because in prison like you don't mess with children like that well
0: so they were in seg so that nobody really got contact with each other
1: i know but i bet you he's reading it being like oh if i could just see you i'm gonna kick your ass
0: so he actually um they would end up having your time together but he would like keep himself composed um Mm. and he would like i said maintain this like facade of friendship because he wanted him to keep talking he wanted as much information as he could get not because he cared about solving this crime and getting a confession really but because he wanted to get out of jail his
1: freedom yeah sure i would do the same damn thing
0: yeah so he also confessed to using his martial arts skills on his coworker cliff parento by throwing uh using a throwing star and then shooting him in the face Where
1: the fuck do you get a throwing star if it's not on the set of a movie?
0: Like, are those real-life things? Yes, you can get them at the flea market. You've never seen a throwing star? A throwing star at the flea market? I'm sure. They're supposed to be decorative, but, I mean, Charlie's Charlie. He doesn't understand. I
1: guess people do have, like, swords and shit on their walls. What's the difference in a throwing star? But that is something that should be looked into
0: exactly you can't have brass knuckles but you can have a fucking katana and a throwing a throwing star i don't understand i
1: can't have pepper spray to weed like to scare off any fucking rapist but you can have the throwing
0: star maybe at the flea market maybe it's illegal now maybe it's illegal maybe they don't have them at the flea market if anyone knows let us know we just don't (laughs) know (laughs) i'm just talking into my ass anyways uh, when he went on to talk about the killing of Deborah Dubs, he said it was his first time, it was the first time that killing someone ever got him a boner. Ew, get fucked. Are you ki- God, I want to punch him in the face. He said so many sick things to Maurice LeBerge that I can't even rattle them all off. And he talked about the babies and he talked about all sorts no. of shit. Like, he just is disgusting.
1: We just cannot get into that. that that's, mm-mm.
0: Now Maurice figured that even if some of the details were lies or exaggerations, law enforcement would figure all that shit out. But mm-hmm. he at least could be the one to give them all this info. Good for him. Um, Charlie did he clear start-
1: this with law enforcement before he he,
0: he did, did not this plan. He did oh, not shit. So Charlie started sending Maurice, but it's not like he's tricking Charlie into anything. Charlie's doing this all on his own free will. Yeah, can, the notes clearly show that it was not like he was being forced to do this by any stretch, anything yeah. like that. So. Yeah, it's, Charlie's Fair. just an idiot. So yeah. Charlie started sending Maurice notes that included extremely disturbing cartoons that he had drawn depicting oral sex, anal sex with children, no. bestiality, and pictures of torture and assault on prison staff. What? So like specific like COs that were in all the process. All prison. of a sudden Charlie's a fucking artist? He's always been. Remember, if you remember part one, he was very artistically inclined, but lazy. Never did anything with it.
1: Right. So he's always been right, and this is when he chooses to really tap into that skill,
0: I suppose. Now, in one cartoon, he drew a woman performing oral sex with a gun to her head, and he told Maurice that he had once forced one of his victims to do this to him, but said he pulled the trigger during (gasps) that so that he could savor the woman's terror. Um. Many.
1: Wait. Hold the phone. He shot a woman in the head while she was sucking his dick. That's what he says, but... I want to first throw up and then second kick his ass. How she didn't
0: bite down in that moment oh, when she's well, been yeah. shot in the head and get getting...
1: Yeah, that reflex. Or yeah. that, like, just...
0: Yeah.
1: Or how did the... Sh-
0: how... how did he not shoot himself in the dick? Yes, I wish... that's what I was going to say. Like, would it go through his...
1: I, that's too much i can't even think yeah. about it it's that's I, fucked. i don't like that at all
0: honestly i wish one of those two scenarios or even both had have happened that she bit down and he shot himself in the dick that would have been nice yeah, but just, sadly he did not i mean he could be lying about this too to look cool i
1: right? hope he's lying let's just go with he's lying he's just trying to be cool not cool, um, dude not cool
0: i'm gonna post a lot of not a lot, but some of these sketches. They're not gr- very graphic, but it's like the meaning behind the sketches that makes you like say, oh, why? Yeah. Obviously, on Instagram, I can't post. Like, there are, you can find the graphic ones on there, but I don't think Instagram will. We won't let me, do that anyway. Let me post them. I um, don't want
1: you to post them. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, eventually, Mo and Charlie, they started to get into like little spats and arguments, and Mo really did not want anything to do with charlie anymore he figured yeah. he had enough and he said he didn't like hearing about the killings because they were giving him nightmares so this is like i know i didn't get into a lot of what Mo did he has committed he was a violent guy committed a lot of theft and different things but like he got
1: confinement for theft
0: no he had assaulted someone pretty badly okay but um this was giving him nightmares like even a yeah. criminal who had spent most of his life in prison had seen a lot of shit go down these cartoons and, this... and what charlie was telling him was giving him nightmares
1: so that's how bad it is that's <laughs> fucked up yeah
0: he had already sent his collection of notes to san francisco law enforcement and asked to be move away from charles zang so that he wouldn't have to hear about these sick tales any longer good in the letter he sent to Inspector Erdolatz, he included several sketches depicting victims, uh, Kathleen Allen, Donald uh, Giletti, and the Dubs family. And in the sketches, he wrote his favorite sayings, like, no kill, no thrill. And in one sketch, mm-hmm. he wrote, Papa dies, Mama cries, baby fries. And he <sighs> is depicting himself standing over a counter wearing a chef's hat.
1: Mm -mm. no
0: no no Mm -mm. it's gross shortly after cutting ties with his prison friend charlie was transferred actually to prince albert penitentiary on his request this is in saskatchewan and he was actually placed in the general population and he thrived there apparently he was able to make friends and even work for the prison newspaper meanwhile back in san francisco inspector urtulets had received that package sent by maurice Leberge, and shit was about to go down Ertelatz contact, uh, contacted LaBerge's attorney, who said he would turn over the remaining sketches and notes in return for a deal for his client, who he believed was serving a 25-year sentence for a robbery and assault that he did not commit. Hmm. The, they agreed under the condition that the notes and sketches were proven to be legit. However... They said that they wouldn't pay LaBerge for the drawings, because this is one thing that the lawyer wanted. He was like, uh, the legal fees cost a lot of money, so maybe we could, like, hand over some cash. And they were like, mm, no. Especially since, like, and I the fact that is, because uh, this is coming right off the tail of Clifford Olson. So the fact that his lawyer would even, like, suggest that, because remember, they paid him $100,000 yeah. to find the bodies. So the fact that a Canadian lawyer would even bring that up at this point, after the outrage that people felt after yeah. after Clifford Olson, is unless he was like, "Hold on, let me try this." Yeah, that well, he is a idea. defense attorney, right? So they're gonna, yeah. but no, they said they would not pay for the drawings, and they felt that the uh, LeBerge's uh, lawyer had a duty to hand over these documents yeah. as somebody you know who works in the legal field. Like this is you should do this because it's the right yeah. thing to do, hundred percent. It would take over a year for American law enforcement to draft all the paperwork necessary to build a case strong enough to connect Charlie Ng to the murders and apply for extradition back to California.
1: Well, it's and... a good thing they had that year and a half to, to kill.
0: Exactly. And it didn't help that Maurice LeBerge's lawyer was refusing to hand over originals of the sketches Charlie had drawn. These were the only pieces of evidence, really, that they had that could, like, definitely connect Charlie to the murder, since the videos they found only showed that Charlie was a witness to what Leonard Lake had done and participated in some of, like, the assaults on the victims, but never anything containing murder.
1: That should be enough. Like, I just don't get it.
0: Yeah. So the extradition process finally started in 1987, two years to the day after Charlie was arrested at the Bay. California law enforcement arrived at Prince Albert Penn with a warrant to bring Charlie to a preliminary hearing where he was facing charges of kidnapping and murdering 13 people.
1: Wow. Good. He was,
0: he was also accused of accessory to murder in the case of Paul Cosner and attempting to kill Richard Carrazza, who was Don Galetti's roommate that was shot, but mm-hmm. survived his injuries. Okay. He was also charged with stealing the recording equipment from the Dub's home. This hearing was quick and a date was set for the next hearing that would take place in May of 1988. And I'm not going to bore you with what happens at every single hearing because it is a long process that spans over the next, like, four years.
1: Oh, wow. Um,
0: But Charlie, he would have several more hearings related to his extradition. In October of 1989, court documents stated that the Minister of Justice would not seek assurances from the U.S. that he wouldn't be executed, essentially like they wouldn't see they they this justice of like the supreme court justice said we're not gonna fuck yeah exactly um he also stated that capital punishment does not constitute cruel and unusual punishment adding Mm -hmm. that canada should not become a safe haven for those accused of murder in the u.s oh yes i love that you can't come and run and hide up in canada well his um, lawyers argued that well Tell me a time somebody's done this. Only one time. And, and, you know, we still sent him back. So, like, who's to say that people are doing this? Where's your data? But, like, it didn't matter. This is a Supreme Court judge. Like, he was just, like, fuck off.
1: He's like, like, I'm the highest
0: power. What I say goes. Exactly. And when it comes to, like, he, when it says that capital punishment is not, does not constitute cruel and unusual punishment, he also stated, like, this is something that California has done ethically for a long time. And I I know people have mixed views on the death penalty i get that but he's just saying that you know california has has had these in place for a long time i shouldn't say the word ethically but they do it in a humane way is more probably the correct term and Um, he's like who am i to to tell you what to do in your country exactly and not only that here's the thing charlie would like file a suit against i don't know canada stating that his rights under the Canadian Charter, rights and freedoms were being violated by them sending him back, and he did file um, motions about this, and his lawyers were trying to prove it. Um, and all I have to well, say to that is, for one, you're a citizen of Hong Kong. Yeah, you don't get to
1: claim our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Y-
0: you or do to, you?
1: If you're in Canada, okay, so, you probably Trump you Trump.
0: probably do, but you don't. So he's a Hong Kong citizen. The entire time he was in the U.S., he was there illegally. Now, I understand that some people come to the US illegally because they're fleeing for their own safety. This mm-hmm. was not the case with Charles Eng. He was sent there to go to school, decided that wasn't for him, illegally joined the military using fake ID, and continued to live in the US. How he hadn't been deported before when he was spending time in prison is a mystery. I have no idea. Sure. But he in hong kong his family they weren't rich but they had money they had enough money to send him to private school after private school so it's not like he was fleeing anything in hong kong He wasn't seeking refuge exactly but he had lived in the u.s illegally he crossed the border into canada illegally and then committed crimes in canada now he's trying to say that we're violating his rights under the charter of rights and freedoms eat dicks that makes no sense like Unless you go back to Hong Kong, which they did not want to do because he would not face any punishment in Hong Kong. But, like, he has no... He shouldn't have had any rights anywhere.
1: No. No. You lost those once you killed someone.
0: Yes. Like, he... Shit. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. But even though he wouldn't return to the U.S. until 1991, there was still delay after delay, mostly caused by Charlie himself, because he wasn't finished bringing up ridiculous motions to the court to delay nice. the process. Once in jail in California, Charlie sta- started to file complaint after complaint against the prison and judicial system. He complained about his food being too cold at dinner time, that his lawyers were incompetent and that his rights were being violated. Um, these,
1: this is not a
0: fucking best Western. Like we don't yeah. give a fuck how cold your food is. Exactly. Now these complaints would continue to stall his trial for years 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 because i I know i just named a few of the things here but he would Mm -hmm. file these over and over again like it just Mm. oh his complaints would result in eight total trips to the supreme court for resolution and he just kept shuffling through his lawyers like they were a deck of cards and just to put it into perspective he would end up going through 10 judges because he didn't like those guys either he kept asking for a change of judge and four defense teams so imagine hey. how many lawyers are on the, those teams. Yeah, even tried to launch a one million dollar lawsuit against two of his lawyers for malpractice, but this case was dropped because they were doing nothing wrong except for mm-hmm. that Charlie didn't like them. Oh, you poor thing. He would end up being represented represented by William Gorman Kelly, who was a very experienced defense att- defense attorney from Orange County. However, Charlie still wasn't happy, and he would end up firing Kelly, but then hire him back again at a later day, being like, "Okay, I guess you're not that bad. Everybody sucks, so I may as well keep you." Mm -hmm. Now, back in Canada, Maurice Laberge had applied for early parole. The parole board thought he had made drastic changes in his life while in prison, and he did. He got an education. He had stayed out of trouble. All of that, and it was agreed that he was ready for life on the outside which was really good for U.S. law enforcement because while he was in jail, they wouldn't be able to call him to testify. It would be a very Mm. difficult process anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was actually one of their key witnesses in the case against Charlie. But sadly, just months before Inks' trial was to begin, Maurice LeBerge was killed in a car accident. (gasps) No. Now, this, of course, is devastating, not just because a man lost his life, but also to the prosecution because they just lost their key witness, which caused yet another delay in proceeding towards the oh, trial. What are the frickin' odds? I know. And um Maurice LeBerge, like he he mostly stayed out of trouble after being released, but he did start getting into some shit. I don't think it's necessary to really talk about it because he's not no. here. But um he had started getting into some shit, so they were worried about whether or not he would make it anyways. But, unfortunately, mm. he wouldn't because of the car accident. So, gee. On October 26, 1998, 13 years, three months, and three, I think... Three days i did not write how many days i just wrote in days seven thousand six hundred million five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred million <laughs> so on october 26 1998 13 years three months and some amount of days because i didn't write it in after Charlie's initial arrest in Calgary, he, his trial was set to begin in Orange County courthouse. So he had actually asked for a change of venue, thinking that if it was in San Francisco, too many people would know and it wouldn't be right. a clean jury pool. Not that He it wanted matter. to
1: do the OC. The OC. Uh,
0: family members of the numerous victims were present in the courtroom when the trial started. And as the clerk started to read off their loved ones' names, tears began to flow immediately. Mm a lot of this because obviously they're sad they lost their lost their loved ones but many of these tears were because they didn't think that this day would ever come it'd been 13 years 13 some it had been even longer since they lost their loved ones so they had waited so many years to see justice serve at this point that it seemed like they would be all be dead before justice was ever served on yeah uh yeah so Sharon Salito, who was Paul Cosner's sister, along with Scott Stapley's parents, had spent thousands of dollars already traveling back and forth between Canada and California to witness for themselves all of Charlie Ng's upwards of 70-plus court appearances over the years. Jesus Christ. The family members and the jury were all shocked when the video of his evidence was played right at the beginning during opening statements. And this oh, would wow. show the abusive and manipulative tactics used by both Leonard and Charlie while they held their victims captive in the bunker. Oh, my God. While they played the tapes, it stated that Charlie sat at the, his defendant's table with his eyes locked on the screen the entire oh. time. And he probably loved it because oh, he, is he a was piece of he was enjoying
1: every minute.
0: He was probably like, I never thought I'd get to see this movie again. Like, I'm fuck a fucking you. movie star. I hate him so much. Now, Charlie's entire defense relied on the fact that he claimed that Leonard Lake was the one responsible for all of the murders. He said that Leonard did have help, but it was not from Charlie. Mm -hmm. It was from Cricket Balazs. and
1: throwing her right under the bus.
0: I think Cricket did have more to do with this than she admits. But that's just my opinion. She received immunity early on and allegedly cooperated with law enforcement during the entire investigation and trial. But I think that was to save her own ass. and had nothing to do with yeah, helping the victims or anything like that. She was just like, I need to protect myself. And that mm-hmm. is it. Now, there's a part in one of the videos where Charlie can be seen cutting the clothing off of Brenda O'Connor. I think we talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. now to counter this piece of evidence charlie's attorney said that simply cutting someone's clothes off is not equivalent to murdering them and he stated quote there's not going to be anybody that says hey i saw charlie kill somebody i'm not saying charlie yang is an angel he's obviously not but he's charged with murder here and ending people's lives not cutting people's clothes off their bodies
1: but like how many murderers actually sees people like have eyewitnesses you yeah. know, like, Ted Bundy didn't have eyewitnesses. He's exactly. still fucking murdered people.
0: Get yeah. out of here. I think it's because they have the video evidence. And so they're just like, well, it never showed it on video. They're recording mm-hmm. all this. Why wouldn't they record, you know, shooting people in the face? Well, because they're idiots. But maybe they just weren't that big of idiots. Yeah.
1: Like, they had small incidences
0: of, yeah. Just yeah. get the fuck out of here. Just stop. I hate
1: defense attorneys. Yeah.
0: Now, even though Maurice Leberge had died in the car crash, the prosecution decided that they were still going to have him testify from beyond the grave.
1: I mean, pull out your Ouija boards, kids, because it's about to get juicy.
0: <laughs> they would tell the court that Charlie had confessed his crime to LeBerge while incar- incarcerated, and they had evidence in the form of notes and sketches made in Charlie's handwriting. Of course, Charlie's attorneys would tell the jury to take what Maurice LeBerge said with a grain of salt. The man was a career criminal, after all. How credible could he be? Mm. It didn't work. They, those drawings were like to the jury. Those drawings were like as, like we said, as good as a confession. Yeah, because there were things in the drawing. We'll get there, but um, yeah. The prosecution would spend the first couple of weeks laying out their entire case. This included relatives of the victims testifying that their loved ones had disappeared after having contact with Charlie or Leonard. Uh, Brenda O'Connor's mother would take the stand. After her testimony, she stated, I didn't want him to see me cry because I hate him, and I don't want to give him that. Instead, during her testimony, the only emotion she showed was rage. Mm. Good for her.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: When the defense suggested that Lonnie Bond and Scott Stapley were involved in a legal drug operation together, Scott's mother got up and ran from the courtroom in complete disgust. This was in total contrast to the son she knew.
1: The son who had
0: joined the Guardian Angels to help drug-addicted teens. Aside from family members, the prosecution will call numerous other witnesses, including the crime scene techs and police officers, who uncovered countless pieces of evidence at the Wilsieville cabin. Mm. Charlie's co-workers would testify about his incessant talking about killing and his use of the phrases, no kill, no thrill, and no gun, no fun, while on the job. And his boss would produce records that on the days of the murders, Charlie was not scheduled to work. Oh, wow. Charlie's attorneys also called several witnesses that would testify about Leonard Lake and his ability to commit these heinous crimes. But nobody said anything about his client. Like I said before, most of his strategy was putting pretty much all of the blame on the only other surviving accomplice, which was Cricket Balazs. Mm -hmm. He would present a gun found in Cricket's house that was proven to be used in the murder of Charles Gunner. And this gun was hidden in like a hollowed out book. So it was obviously being concealed. Yeah. Charlie was in jail when Gunner was murdered. So who else could have been accomplice but Cricket? Says the attorney. Sure. (laughs) Whatever. When Charlie's Mm -hmm. attorney finally called Cricket to the stand, he started by showing her a copy of her immunity agreement. So he walked up, he handed her the paper, said, Is this your immunity agreement? She said yes. After this, in a very strange and unexpected twist, he said he had no further questions for her and sat down.
1: <laughs> so are you do you have immunity? Yes.
0: Well, I guess yeah. my job here is done. Yeah. So the prosecution was a little bit stunned because they had actually prepared an entire cross examination hoping hoping to poke holes in whatever story Crook of told on the stand. Mm -hmm. um but since she hadn't answered any questions there was nothing they could ask her so she was dismissed and i gotta say that this was actually pretty smart that his attorney charlie's attorney did this because um cricket would be the only one who could really throw charlie under the bus and the prosecution Mm -hmm. would be able to bring out different things during cross-examination so it was actually really smart that he did this so i mean i guess Hmm. that he's got that uh, Charlie's defense team would end up calling a total of eighty witnesses of eighty, yeah, over the course of his trial. However, Charlie would never testify in his own behalf. Yet, they considered putting him on the stand. However, like smart people, they figured it would be a bad idea since yeah, the maybe. judge had ruled that the prosecution would would be allowed to cross examine him about all of the videotapes. Now, in closing arguments, the prosecution had the jury hanging on their every word. They told the jurors that whether or not Charlie had actually pulled the trigger, he was still responsible for the deaths of all three people since he and mm-hmm. Leonard had carefully. i oh, sorry, of all these people, since he and Leonard had carefully and meticulously planned and organized each operation together. Mm-hmm. It was as good as, you know, having the, the knife in his hand.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: As the conclusion to their closing speech, they showed a sketch of the jury of they showed a sketch to the jury that Eng had drawn of himself sitting in a prison cell surrounded by pictures of each and every victim. So he's sitting on like I'll post that picture. He's sitting on like his prison cell bed, and mm-hmm. you can see that there's other like little what look like posters on the wall around him of his victim, and it, their names are on it. Yeah, Jesus, it's yeah. The prosecutor said, ladies and gentlemen, this is an admission by the defendant that he killed all of these people. They would also show the tape to the jurors of Brenda O'Connor begging Lake and Aang to be reunited with her baby.
1: Mm.
0: They said, not only can you hear the words, you can feel them. You can feel her terror. You can feel Mm -hmm. the desperation in her words. The defense was set to deliver their closing arguments the next day, but in another shocking twist... Charlie moved to dismiss his lawyers as he wanted to testify and they wouldn't let him. (laughs) The judge ruled against dismissing his lawyers at this state in the trial, but did allow Charlie to speak on his own behalf because he's got that right, I guess. Yeah, sure. Now, he would testify that the sketches he drew in prison were only satire and he just didn't mean it. I didn't mean to do it. It was just something he did to, you know, pass the time. He said that he mm-hmm. and Mo were equally involved in drawing the cartoons and that he embellished what was going on. So I think what he meant by that was that, like, he would draw a bit, chuck pass it over the back. wall.
1: Yeah. He
0: would draw a little bit and pass back. Yeah. So, um, and that he was embellishing each time. He stated that every time I sent him a cartoon like this, he would laugh and prompt me to do more. He also said that he had lent Leonard's diary to Maurice Lebears. I'm not... Really, 100%. How the hell did sure. you get that there, yeah, Charlie? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and so he said, because of this, Mo had crafted the so called confessions by using that diary. It sounds like oh, BS okay. to me. Now, when asked how Maurice LeBerge could have possibly gotten all that information regarding the victims, like some specific things that weren't in any of Leonard's journals, mm-hmm. Charlie said that he must have gotten it all from the news. And in an <laughs> almost <laughs> almost Freudian slip and almost Freudian slip Charlie responded to a question by saying listen I never talked about my I mean in terms of these victims what I knew or didn't know about them so he almost mm-hmm. slipped and said I never talked about my victims to Mo mm-hmm. right now to explain why he was spotted at the Dubs home by a neighbor because remember a neighbor had drawn that picture of him Yeah. He said that Leonard had asked him to do a job, but he had no idea that the family had been murdered by Leonard. None. He had no idea. That was, like, Absolutely so far not. out of the question. Yeah. When he was asked about cutting Brenda O'Connor's clothing off, he stated that he did it because he thought it would get Leonard erotically turned on. Because that's something you do for your friends regularly. I
1: Listen, Erica, if I'm <laughs> not trying to turn you on every chance I get, don't even call me your friend.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um. He said that the comments he made were just in the heat of the moment and to get the girls to comply with Leonard's demands. He also stated that the reason he went to Canada wasn't because he didn't want to be caught for murder, but because the car they were driving was stolen and he didn't want to risk getting deported back to Hong Kong. Sure. Now... I mean, I guess this is good. He did admit to helping Leonard bury the bodies of Lonnie, Bond, and Scott Stapley, but claimed that he had no idea that Leonard planned to actually kill the women that he had in prison back at the bunker. When he was cross-examined by the prosecution, they poked many holes in all of these stories that he had just told his defense attorney. Yeah. They asked him how Maurice LeBerge would know such details as the fact that you could hear the clanging of handcuffs in all the videos or how he knew that Kathy Allen was forced to wear pantyhose with a hole ripped in the crotch.
1: Ew.
0: Now he would admit that he must have accidentally told him those details, but still maintain that he was a hundred percent innocent in murdering anybody.
1: But I never did it. Yeah. I just know about it.
0: The prosecution would again, bring up the sketches and ask him to tell the jury what was happening in each picture. Most of which depicted Ang and Lake, killing babies he said it was just silly satire it was his way of ridiculing all the charges against him fuck off why not like not do that show a little remorse maybe show a little concern that you've been charged with such egregious things and if you're if you are innocent show compassion to these victims at
1: least a little compassion not to go draw pictures of babies
0: after his testimony scott stapley's mother summed up everything she had that had had come out of Charlie Ng's mouth as one word, lies, Hmm. which they fucking were. One of the prosecutors would later say that the cross-examining Charles Ng was one of the most fun days she's ever had at work. Uh,
1: She she was probably like, you know, that crack your knuckle, like, ah, let's get to work here, boys, and we're going to tear him apart.
0: She said that every time he contradicted himself, it took him one step closer to death row and she loved it mm, i bet it's,
1: it's like a prosecutor's wet dream yeah, right. keep talking yeah just keep
0: talking you sound like an <laughs> idiot after his client's testimony ing's attorney tried to do any level of dam- damage control that he could he would remind the juries that you know this is a highly emotional case but it's important for them to keep their emotions out, their their emotions out of their final decision Mm-hmm. He reminded him that his client wasn't charged with kidnapping or sexual assault, which was all that was shown on the tapes. He stated, no matter how many times the prosecution played those tapes, they never showed Charlie killing anybody. Oh, he then proceeded to produce a life-sized image of who he believed the real killer was, Leonard Lake. Now, can you imagine? Like a cutout? A cardboard cutout of Leonard Lake just hanging around your office? No, you thank you. You don't know who did it?
1: This guy. This guy.
0: (laughs) They then, in very poor taste, had uh, another cardboard screen or something set up behind that had pictures of all the victims with targets on them. And he said, This guy targeted those people. It's this (gasps) guy. The judge made him dismantle it because he was like, Come on. With targets on their face, you get that out of
1: my courtroom. Exactly. Dirty pig. Yeah.
0: The defense wrapped up their closing statements on February 7th, 1999. By once again trying to discredit the prosecution's key witness, Maurice LeBerge. They brought up the fact that law enforcement struck a deal with LeBerge to get him out of prison and gave him cash for the sketches, which we know they didn't really do, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But none of that was enough to dissuade the jury. They deliberated for nine days, and on February 24th, 1999, they came back with their verdict. They told the court that they had come to a verdict on all but one count, so we do not they didn't know what that count was immediately. Well, the jury did but the rest of the people didn't yeah so a mistrial was declared for that count this <gasps> would end up being the murder of paul cosner which we'll talk about it in a minute but ang was found guilty for the murders of 12 other victims so paul's sister ran from the courtroom in tears stating that it felt like the jury just spit in her face
1: yeah which I bet.
0: I, she thought didn't my brother matter now it was the fact that Leonard and Charlie had Paul's car that broke this case wide open. Like do you know what I mean? Like it was and she thought, like, what is wrong with these people on the jury? Like it doesn't make sense. And after 14 years of anxiously awaiting justice, it would seem that Paul Costner would never get it. His charges would end up being dropped entirely. That's fucked up. Why? Why did they not think he they killed him? I have no idea. They said there just wasn't enough evidence to prove that they were the ones responsible for his murder i guess like i yeah i'm kind of baffled by it like it makes yeah that's really sad yeah the penalty phase of ing's trial was set for march of 1999 many witnesses were called to speak on charlie's behalf and plead for his life but none other made as big an impact as kenneth ang charlie's father Ooh, He would actually end up, when he was on the stand, taking the blame for his son's actions, (gasps) stating he was an abusive and hard parent when Charlie was a child. When asked if he wished he could go back and do things differently, he said in the greatest understatement of all time, yes, but maybe it's too late. It was. (laughs) His oh, mother would yeah. also be called to the stand and pleaded through her tears for her son's life. And by the end of their testimonies, the like the entire jury was in tears. They felt mm. that for his parents. Sure. Even Charlie would be in tears by the time his mother finished, which is the first time he showed any emotion during well, this entire process. regarding mom will anything. do that to you. After about three days of deliberation, the jury returned with their recommendation for punishment charlie would receive the death penalty for his crimes on the day he was to be formally sentenced ing arrived ready with a list of motions just to mm. throw everybody off he stated that because he had been up researching different things for appeals and all of that that he hadn't gotten enough sleep the night before so everything should just be adjourned
1: no. now he <laughs> you had- know what
0: i was a little tired
1: i wasn't uh thinking clearly
0: he had apparently read somewhere that an accused should get at least eight hours of sleep before any court proceeding, and he's a big loser. I just don't know. <laughs> it was my like, exact your fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, like that's
0: your fault. You didn't get enough sleep. Nobody else's. So get bent. Yeah. So the judge decided that Charlie appeared to learn enough to proceed and carried on. But before delivering his decision, loved ones for the victims were given time to read their. Absolutely heart-wrenching victim in- impact oh, statements imagine. in the courtroom. Now, in contrast to when his family and friends were testifying on his behalf, where he cried and carried on like a baby, Ng just stared at the floor, totally emotionless to what the family members were saying. Like, he did not care He didn't care give a that. shit. No. After this, the judge announced his decision. He looked at Charlie and said, it is the order of this court that you should be punished by death. Good. He would be sent to San Quentin prison to serve out his sentence until he would die by lethal injection.
1: Good.
0: After reading his decision, the court, Mm. although Paul Cosner, you know, the case was dropped, they did give his sister Sharon a chance to speak on behalf of herself and her family. In her statement, she said... We have patiently and not so patiently been waiting for the time when the system would be forced to hear what the far-reaching effects and pain and loss the crime and murder, the crime of murder causes, and these murders in particular, and the mur- this murder in particular. We were stunned. It was breathtaking, dumbfounding, heartbreaking, beyond belief. We couldn't even comprehend it, and now it is over, and we will have to live with the verdict, for that is law.
1: Mm. Oh, how hard would that be?
0: She also said, a few lines in the newspaper became an invitation for two monsters named Lake and Ng who thrilled themselves with dreams of profit, new identities, and murder. They learned that the ability to kill was the purest form of power, and the exercise of this power was the greatest thrill of all. Hmm. If we were allowed to give a victim impact statement, because technically she wasn't allowed to give a victim impact statement, they were Hmm. doing her a solid by letting her talk. Mm -hmm. So she said, if we were, if we were allowed to give an impact, a victim impact statement, I would say simply this. Charles Zang has shown nothing but contempt for life, for law, for anything and everything good. He has killed many people and for no other reason than his own amusement. And all the way he has not, and all the way he has not shown any remorse nor the capacity for it. For this reason, if not for my brother's murder, he must be put to death. To see him right now and to know he is finally going to pay for these crimes is to forget him. He used to tell people he could be invisible. Well, now he is going to be. He'll be gone and we'll all be free. Hmm. Powerful. Bitch. Yeah. Bitch is what she should have said at the end of that.
1: Bitch.
0: <laughs> so, Ng's trial cost the state of California almost $20 million. <gasps> This is the most expensive trial in California's history to date.
1: Holy shit. And right? think about that. In California history,
0: like they had OJ Simpson. Simpson, I trial. know. I thought about that when I was uh doing this, but because it lasted for so like the everything uh, lasted yeah. for so long. So yeah. Wow. 20 million dollars. Yes. Jesus. Uh, As of today, Charles Ng still sits on death row at San Quentin Prison, Mm -hmm. and it's unlikely that he'll ever actually be executed. California hasn't held an execution since 2006, which was for a man named Clarence Ray Allen, who had been in prison for almost 25 years for the murders of three people. And it took that long to execute him. In 2019, the governor of California declared a moratorium, which I looked this up, it's a temporary prohibition of a certain activity. So he declared a moratorium on execution and dismantled the death chamber at San Quinton. So, again, unlikely he'll ever actually see the needle. But, you know, and you know what? At the same time, maybe it's a good thing. He's suffering on death row. Yeah. Like nothing. So,
1: I mean, if death row is as sufferable as we hope it is, like well, I hear some of them have like TVs and.
0: Well, remember Lawrence Bitteker and. um Fucking William Bonin and a bunch of other guys would all sit together and play cards and shit. So yeah, that, like but... it sounds
1: like a great retirement home, actually.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Now, after the trial, the Calaveras County District Attorney's office would purchase a stone crypt or tomb to inter the remains found at Willseyville, because most of them were incomplete remains mm-hmm. and unidentified. Uh, so that the families of those who were missing and believed to be yeah. victims of Leonard Lake. They would also, uh, they could have a place to go and visit these loved ones, sorry. They would also go or hold a memorial service for family, friends, and loved ones at a local funeral chapel. And among mm. the many, many people who attended this service was a little man, not a little man, a good man that we haven't talked about in a while called John Callis. And he mm. was the off-duty officer who had first bought Charlie and Leonard at the lumber store on June 2nd, <gasps> 1985, when Charlie wow. attempted to steal that vice. Obviously, wow. many of the other people involved in this case, Eisenman, Brun, um, uh Erdalek, and it, the prosecutors, all of them attended yeah. as well. But I just thought that was such like a sweet thing that this guy wasn't even working that day, just happened to be at the Lumber Star, and he still came to that memorial. Got the whole
1: shit rolling.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, if it wouldn't be for him, like, holy. Yeah. Now, the cabin in Woolseyville still stands to this day and has new owners who say that they actually love it there. They they said it's a really peaceful place for them despite knowing the horrors that happened there. And you know what? They said they believe that all the badness and all the, you know, those things that have happened there has a way, these things have a way of cleansing themselves out. And they brought in, because they feel peaceful, they brought a new piece to that property, right? Sure,
1: but it's still 100% haunted.
0: I mean... I hope maybe they those ghosts are taking care of the new owners, though, because they're taking care of their final resting place.
1: It could very well be a Beetlejuice situation where, you know, yeah. they are lovely ghosts.
0: But they're still but, ghosts nonetheless.
1: Yeah, they're you. still I haunted.
0: Get I get what you're saying. Yeah. So that, my friends, is where this story finally ends. And after many weeks of reading and researching this case, I can't say that I'm sad to be saying goodbye to Leonard Lake and Charlie Ng because I hate them and I hate them a lot.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for that, Erica. That was sure. a long story, but an important one to tell. And rest in peace to all of the victims, known and, and otherwise. Unknown. Yes. Because yes. they deserve justice.
0: And Wow. Well, and I said the only thing. Hell,
1: all of them are Charlie and Leonard.
0: Yeah. Now, the only thing that I wish after all of this is that Paul Cosner would get justice. I don't know if there's yeah. like a good thing out there to make that happen, but if there is... Guys, let's make it happen. We know that
1: he did it and that Charlie's on death row for the the death of Paul. So
0: yeah, deep in our hearts, he
1: got the justice anyways.
0: Yes, he did. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that at
1: storycrimepod.
0: If you want to send me an email, you can do that at storycrimepod at gmail.com. And if you want to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, please go do that. Give us some thumbs up, some stars, whatever it is.
1: Yes. We appreciate it.
0: Slip into our DMs. Tell us something nice.
1: Slide right into friends. those DMs. Just slide. Shoot in. your shot. Uh, no, don't shoot your shot, but just don't, slide into your DMs.
0: Don't shoot your shot into our DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you all again for listening. We love you.
1: Bye. Love you. Happy spring, finally. Happy Yay. spring.